Well, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, pastors traditionally seek to reassure or show people that Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive. Totally okay with that. It's usually what I do every Resurrection Day. Uh, the thing you don't want it to do is you don't want it to turn into a pep rally, like, all right, man, here we go. Um, in recent years, though, a lot of pastors have changed what they do, and what they do is they will introduce a new series. They skip the resurrection, introduce a new series to get you all to come back for part two next week. So I'm not going to do that today. I just want to let you know you're all invited to come back next week. So there we go. I've covered that. But we've been spending this week in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been looking in particular how the Bible writers use the reactions of the people to the events that's going on between Palm Sunday and Eastern Sunday uh, to really tell us the story of the Passion Week. To be, to be honest, I think it is very easy for us um, to overlook the trauma that the followers of Jesus went through that week. The apostles, the other disciples, a disciple is merely a learner and follower of Jesus, of, of the women that traveled with him, of Jesus' own mother. It's easy for us to overlook that. I mean, just imagine, before, right before Jesus came into Jerusalem for the Passover week, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty exciting, wouldn't you say? And then he comes in Palm, Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry. We talked about that last Sunday, and the people are just saying, wow, the king is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The people are all excited. And by Friday, he's crucified on a cross. You know, sometimes in, in our looking at just those events, we, we kind of forget what the people who traveled with Jesus were actually going through. And you know what? It's easy for us to dismiss the trauma in our own lives, isn't it? It's easy for us to try and sort of try to ignore some of the things that have happened in our life. But to acknowledge our suffering and our disappointments and to see them in light of the cross and resurrection actually helps us to experience Jesus. So it has been a very, very tough and confusing week for the disciples. It has been a tough year for our world. And may I be so bold as to assume that it's been a tough year for you. In fact, some of you might say it's been a traumatic year for you. Here in Luke chapter 24, Luke invites us to take a walk with two unknown followers of Jesus who are in tremendous pain. And with them, we're going to meet the title of our message, Jesus, the Hopeful King. Now in the Bible, hope expresses the certainty of God. You know, we tell people, well, I hope that works out for you. But with God... Hope is certainty. We can be certain when God uses the word hope that it will come to pass. Now, some of you like to take notes. 
makes the time go faster. I don't know why you like to take notes, but it makes the time go faster. A lot of you have more notes at the end of the sermon than I do. Number one, Jesus brings hope in the darkness. Jesus brings hope in the darkness. You could say the resurrection of Jesus brings hope in the darkness. Verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. So this is the first Easter to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Let's stop right there. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you spent a lot of the last year talking with people you know about everything that has happened and everything that's going on? Trying to just figure it out. Wondering what's, what's, what's next. Verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned. Some versions say arguing. So apparently the, the discussion was a little bit intense, passionate, let's say. That Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. Literally, they were prevented from recognizing Jesus. It's what we call a divine passive. God didn't let them realize it was Jesus. It could be they were so preoccupied. Uh, We also know that he looked somewhat different in a resurrected body so that they did not know him. So let me ask you this question. Again, how much of the last year have you spent trying to figure the world out? Or how much of the last year have you, try, have you spent trying to ignore everything that's going on in the world? Waiting for it to return to normal. Do any of you have any idea what normal is? I do not. <laughs> I don't know what normal is. Jesus has died on the cross, and here, two people, two followers of Jesus, are walking, and they are talking it out. Now, I I said before the service that you might want to pick up one of these notices on your way out. If you're from here, if you're visiting from out of town, we're glad you're here with us, but if you're local to here, and I I wouldn't even care if you joined a Zoom group from out of town, but, but... that's what people do. They, they, in community groups, they talk life out. And you know what's a great reason to join a community group right now? Your sanity. <laughs> because there is a lot of craziness right now. They have experienced trauma. They have experienced the sudden, brutal death of Jesus on the cross. I mean, I don't want to minimize anybody's pain of the last year. And we had so many people in our church lose people about a year ago. But man, to have to watch that, to have to watch Jesus who did nothing, to be crucified on a cross, that is so traumatic. And so now they're, they're, they're walking and they're talking. What are they trying to do? They're trying to work their way through it. You know, that's what happens when when someone dies or when there's trauma. It's healthy to talk. You have to talk it out. It's a process to try and work your way through it. They're disappointed. They're hurt. They could be fearful. They might be angry. They're definitely confused. They're wondering, what does the future hold? 
Uh, some of you, maybe you had great plans for this year, this past year, and all your plans have been put on hold or they have been uh, completely shattered. You could even say these guys might just be in a total fog. I mean, they are just in a fog. They, they, don't, they don't know which end is up. And suddenly, as they're walking, another traveler comes alongside them and starts to talk to them. You know what that's like, right? It's really awkward when you're in a really personal conversation with someone and the third wheel comes along. You're kind of like, you like dummy up. You ever see that? Like the smooth people just keep, they change the subject or something like that. The rude people go, we're talking about something private. Get out of here. Um, but but this, this person comes up and you, you really, you're awkward. You don't know, really know what to do. And, and it's Jesus. Maybe there's a little bit of a visual principle here. That Jesus discloses himself to us when we are willing to let him walk with us. When we walk with him. When we are intimate with him. And I don't know, maybe, just maybe, that's why you're here today. Maybe that's why you're watching today. Because this moment, God wants to remind you that true intimacy with him is found in walking with him, doing life with him. Verse 17, and he said to them, I love it, just two garden variety followers of Jesus. I, I just love that. I consider myself a garden variety follower of Jesus. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and are sad? So Jesus says to them, hey, you know, you guys are all jacked up, man. What are you, what are you talking about? One version uh, says it, puts it this way, and they stood still looking sad. Another version says, and they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Verse 18, then one whose name was Cleopas. All right, probably not the greatest name. If you, those of you who buy those baby books, I don't think Cleopas is one of the top 10 baby names. We don't know whether it's Cleopas and a friend who has another name or maybe his wife, we don't know. Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, <laughs> It's kind of funny. They're, they're like, dude, we're having a serious conversation and you're interrupting us. So they kind of, he kind of answered them with a snarky answer. Imagine someone talking to Jesus snarky. Would you ever do that? Oh, you liars, you know you would. You know you would and you know, not only know you would, you know that you do. He said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and you have not known the things which happened there in these days. So Jesus walks up to them. Remember, they don't know, they don't know it's him. He's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Why, why are you so sad? Cleopas basically comes back at him like, where have you been? We know you're coming out of Jerusalem you didn't hear what happened over the weekend? Why don't you fess up? What, were you drunk and passed out? Too much Passover wine or something? I mean, you, you don't know what happened? His question to Jesus seems to be very impatient. He's impatient with Jesus. 
this is something that happens to us. We get very impatient when, when this happens to us. He has a, a mixture of facts with a great loss of hope. You know when you really want something to happen and then the facts are there that it's not going to happen? You can become very impatient, can't you? Because you're just trying to figure things out. But here's where we have to be careful if we're followers of Jesus. If you're not, we're glad that you're here. I was so appreciative. A woman walked up to me after the last service and she said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I said to her, how old are you? She said, 23. I said, don't worry about it. It's okay. Glad you're here. Please come back again. Why? I didn't become a Christian until I was 29. It's okay. It's okay. But we have, who are followers of Jesus have to be really careful when, when facts combined with a loss of hope are operating in our mind and our heart, it's very easy for that to produce a type of spiritual blindness in us. And what happens in this time of spiritual blindness is circumstances become larger than Jesus. That is not a good place to be. I'm not minimizing the pain of anything, and neither is Jesus. But we have to be careful of letting our circumstances be bigger than Jesus. Now, we're sitting here going, we know more than they do. We know Jesus rose from the dead. They don't, they don't know it yet. But, but do we really know more than they do? I mean, are, are you aware? These are the kinds of questions that God asked me. You're like, what does he come up with these questions he asks us? This is the questions that God asked me when I'm preparing to teach the congregation. Are you aware of how close Jesus is to you in your despair? Are you really aware of that? You're thinking he's a billion miles away, and he's like, no, I'm right here. No, I'm right here. Love to come in here. Just have me come in. I mean, let's be really honest. Let's be really honest with ourselves. Is it possible, like them, we fail to see or we fail to remember how close our comfort actually is to us in our despair. How close Jesus actually is to us in our confusion, in our pain, in the lowest moments and darkest moments of our life. Loved ones, it's not that Jesus doesn't know what's going on. It's that they don't know what's going on. It's that we don't know what's going on. So Jesus, I don't know if he does it with you, he does it with me all the time, asks us questions to guide us into truth. Verse 19. So remember, he just said to him, where in the world were you? Don't, don't, you, know, don't you know all the things that happened? And he said to him, said to them, what things? 
I'm telling you, man, Jesus cracks me up. <laughs> he cracks me up. He really does. Jesus, this is what he does. To get them to talk, he purposely acts clueless. He wants them to, see, here's the thing. God wants us to open up our hearts to him. When we studied the book of Job, Job was ticked off at God. And we, we came to the conclusion that God is, we're okay with God, if you will. It's best, of course, to be loving God. But as long as you're talking to him, that's okay. It's when you go dark, that's when you're in trouble. When you're no longer talking to him, that's when you're in a bad place. So Jesus acts clueless to get them to talk. So they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, who was, no, he is. But in their mind, he's gone. Who was a prophet mighty indeed, miracles, and word, the content of his message. This is where we have to be very careful today. Um, we live in an entertainment society. And so for a lot of people, delivery and presentation is more important than content. But Jesus was a content-driven, the Apostle Paul, they said, you know, he really wasn't much in person, content-driven. He was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. So what are they doing? They're sharing a partially correct view of Jesus. He is a prophet, yes, but he's also a priest and a king. They're not proclaiming him as the Lord and Savior, but they're saying he's a pro another dead prophet, if you will. Verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers... Let's just stop right there for a second. <laughs> when you first become a follower of Jesus or you're in the process of becoming a follower of Jesus, one of the most shocking things that you find in the Bible is it's that the religious leaders were the guys who didn't like Jesus. You're thinking like, oh, no, those must have been his bros. No, they were not his bros. <laughs> they couldn't stand him at all. So, you know, so just because someone is a quote-unquote religious leader doesn't mean that they're in good with Jesus. Sometimes people say to me, oh, you're very religious. And I say, please don't say that. And whenever people ask me that question, you might find this very helpful. I would say, would you please define for me what you mean by religious? And then you can talk to them about what, what the Bible would say as religious. Religious is, religious is the things that you do to reach God. Christianity is God reaching to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So I wouldn't consider myself to be religious. They delivered him, the religious leaders delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now let's notice something very important. Notice there's no mention of the Romans. They're under Roman occupation. Luke has worked very hard for us to see that, and the other apostles do too, that, that Jesus was not about overturning the government. The problem with overturning the government is, in our country, is it changes. You get a guy in you like, woman in you like, then they're out. <laughs> and, and, and so, it, it, you know, people are, they like you one day, they don't the other. No, the apostles were about knowing God. It's one of those things, I think, if we, if we preach the good news, 
and more people come about knowing God, the government will take care of itself. Verse 21, here's the key to what they're saying. But we were hoping. Oh man, we had great hope. We really, man, we, we, we bet it all on Jesus. We bet the farm on Jesus. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to be the one that would save us from the Roman Empire, get those guys out of here, drop a nuclear bomb on Rome, and bless Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Now, it's interesting. These are Jews. They, they were brought up with the scriptures Third day in the Old Testament is a term for deliverance. Jesus said he would rise from the dead the third day. But what are they saying? They're saying our hope was nailed to a cross. Little do they know that's the truth. Our certainty was nailed to the cross. But for them, their hopes and their dreams were lost that day. They have this feeling, and I know I'm not the only one who gets this. They have this feeling that when God does not fulfill our hopes, all hope is lost. Do do you get that feeling ever? Like, Like when God does not fulfill your hopes, you're like, all hope is lost. I I get that feeling. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us or amazed us with what they said. When they did not find his body, they came. So this is Easter morning. He was crucified on Friday, presumably, and Easter morning, they're there Sunday. When they did not find his body, they came that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see it. But him they did not see, sorry. So what are they saying? Well, you know, some women went. They found an empty tomb. And they said they saw some angels. But an angel said they were risen. And, well, let's be honest. we We didn't believe them. We didn't believe him. So some of our guys went and they went and checked it out. Now they're still talking, they're telling Jesus the story. They still don't know it's him. Now it's very interesting. John's gospel written by the apostle John tells us that it was him and Peter that actually went to the tomb. Now here's the part I find funny. I find the Bible funny. John, who you didn't name yourself in the Bible, But he notes to us, and he he writes, he goes, and the two apostles went, one apostle and Peter. So we know it's him and Peter. And he goes, and the other apostle outran Peter. (laughs) So he makes sure we know that he's a faster runner than Peter. (laughs) My my wife always says to me, you men are so competitive. (laughs) I'm like, it's very apostolic. (laughs) It's in the Bible. Like, he can't even tell the story without getting a little dig in at Peter. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here with us. 
or you're really struggling in your faith, really glad that you're here with us. You may be where these guys are right now. They are in the darkness and sadness and the unknown of the world. They just don't know what is next. They, 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 they don't want to watch the news, but they watch the news. And it's bad. From, from virus variants to shootings now popping up again, and it's just, it's just unknown. You know, it, for us, I think it's easy to think that the people in the ancient world believed anything they heard. Not so. They're not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, these guys. Yet the Bible writers are clear, and this is very important, you don't have to see the risen Christ. You don't have to, and I don't, we don't have to lay eyes on the risen Christ to know him and to trust him. We don't have to because the scripture tells us he's not far. He's not far. He's right there. Even, and maybe even especially, in the darkest moments of your life. Well, how is that possible? How can you know? Well, from hope in the darkness, we move to number two. Jesus brings hope in the word. Jesus brings hope in the word. Verse 25, then he said to them, <laughs> oh, foolish ones. <laughs> Some people are like, no, he didn't really say that. Some of your Bible versions clean it up and say, Oh, how unwise of you. <laughs> you know, when I first started to read the Bible, and, and we would say stuff like that, like, what things? And oh, foolish ones. And how long must I bear with you? I'm like, I'm going to love this Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to really like this guy. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. <laughs> And slow of heart to believe in all the prophet that the prophets have spoken. And he's talking about the, what we call the Old Testament. For them, it was simply the word of God. New Testament not written yet. Ought not or wasn't it necessary the Christ or the Messiah to have suffered these things and enter, or we might say, and to enter into his glory and then to enter into his glory? The emphasis on the, on the wording in that, those two verses is very interesting. It's on, weren't you slow to believe all that the prophets said? All. The emphasis is on the word all and ought not or necessary, that it was necessary for him to suffer. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded he, or he explained to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, some call this the world's greatest Bible study. I'm hoping we get to see it when we get to heaven. So, Jesus is teaching them. And one thing he's teaching them that I think we don't know, we could go through all of these possible scriptures he could have been teaching them. But one thing I think he's teaching them is this. That the traumatic events of your life, he's not minimizing them. 
as hard and as painful as they are, they don't have to be the end of hope. That the traumatic events of our life in an odd way and over time can actually become the beginning of hope. Jesus reminded them and us in good times and bad, you can trust his word. You can trust this book. And that the Old Testament prophets, to show, show you that you could trust it, not just what Jesus did, everything pointed to him coming. And you could trust him for that. But, very important, this is not just waiting for the next life. I feel like a lot of Christians are just waiting for the next life. They're like, I just want Jesus to come today. And there's part of me that wants him to come today. But there's another part of me that wants him not to come today. Because I want us, as a congregation, to bring a lot more people along with us. Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want more out of life, but I know when I die, it's going to be better. So, we're not just waiting for the next life. As followers of Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. To, he gives us the Word of God. We can understand it better. All of which helps us to know and experience Jesus now. Now. It's not just about holding on till we get to the next life. We want to experience Jesus now. Resurrection and the Word of God shows us how Jesus and all of his followers. Now, you might say, what, why do you keep saying follower of Jesus? I can barely use the word Christian anymore. It's so watered down. I don't even know what it means anymore. So when people say to me, are you a Christian? I say, would you please explain to me what you mean by that word? And you may find, you watch Jesus, and when he talks to people, he's constantly asking questions seeing what they think, and then is responding with the truth. So I'll say, what do, you, what do you mean by that word? I say followers of Jesus because that, uh, people who walk in the way of Jesus is really what a Christian is. How do you become one? You, you turn from your sin to God and put your trust in Jesus. It's that simple. So, Resurrection and the Word of God shows us how followers of Jesus get from this world of suffering. There is, this is a world of suffering. This is a world of pain. That's what happened when sin came into the world. It was cataclysmic for the world. It was like a giant earthquake. So both the resurrection and the Word of God show us how to get from this world of suffering through this world of suffering with joy to eternal joy. They missed what we often miss, what Jesus taught, that suffering precedes joy. We see it here in Jesus. He models it for us. He must die before he can really live. 
He lives in an earthly body. He got tired. He got hungry. He was the son of God. He was the perfect God become a man. But he had the, the things that we have. But it wasn't until he died and rose from the dead that he really lived in a resurrected, physical resurrected body. The Apostle Paul, after Jesus ascended to heaven, writes these words, Romans 14, 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So friends, we, we have to see this. We live in a world of suffering and death. So Jesus calls us to put our trust in him and enter into eternal life now. So if you've already put your trust in Jesus, you are already in eternal life. You've entered it now. It will be different when we see Jesus. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can enter into eternal life now today. It's kind of funny to me, anyway, that, that it wasn't Jesus who was dead and joyless. It was these two. And notice Jesus says to them, it strikes us as odd. Sometimes you read stuff Jesus says and you're like, did he really say that? Oh, foolish ones. Now, in our generation, we might expect something more like, oh, poor baby, poor baby. Or I feel so bad for you. But instead, Jesus wakes them up to their big problem. Now, their big problem was not thinking he was dead. Their big problem was not thinking that the tomb was really empty. Their big problem was not believing the women. The big problem was not being sad. The big problem was not grieving. The big problem was not trusting the word of God. That's what he calls them out on. You didn't believe what the prophets said. You didn't believe what the scripture said. What, what is Jesus saying? You, you wanted this evidence. You wanted to see something. It's not, that's not the problem. The problem is a heart issue and a trust issue in the trusting of what you know to be true of the word of God. And that is the reason. For us many times, I'll include myself, why we're so unstable. Because we're not regularly feeding upon the word of God. Do, do you know people who call themselves Christian and they're a hot mess? They're a hot mess. You're like, dude, man, wow. But they don't really stay close to Jesus and we meet Jesus in his word. They still don't know it's Jesus, but I think we're being told here that it's more important to hear Jesus than it is to see Jesus. Because it is through hearing him that we actually see him. I think he's also telling us that 
that, that and these guys, when you trust in his word, that does not mean we don't grieve. That does not mean we are not sad. But that means, and we don't just wait till we're in that position. We, we, we constantly are feeding upon God's word. We're constantly learning the word of God together. Why? Because walking with Jesus is our life. So when things go wrong, that is our default to keep walking with him. Not that he doesn't want us to grieve. He wants us to grieve with him. Not that he doesn't want us to be disappointed. He wants to be disappointed with us. Not in us, but alongside of us. And that's what he's calling these guys out on. Otherwise, we will, as so many people do, get Jesus wrong. Not seeing that he brings relief and hope to us in the word of God, even though it takes time. He's not rushing the time. He's telling you, this is how you get there. This is how you get there. You don't get there by going at it alone. You get there by going at it with me. That brings us to number three. Jesus brings hope in the church, or the resurrection of Jesus brings hope in the church. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he, Jesus, indicated, in other words, as he gave the impression, that he would have gone further. He was like, farther. He's like, hey, nice talking to you guys. But they constrained him. What does that mean? They're, they're urging him, saying, abide with us. Come be with us, for it is toward the evening. And the day is far spent. Now, they typically ate later in the afternoon, so it's, it's getting maybe late, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock. And, and, and he went to stay with them. Now, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. I don't think this is the communion service. I don't have time to go into it why there's too many other variables in it. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. They, they, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Like, Where'd he go? Verse 32 is a classic. You might want to circle it in your Bible. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And note this while he opened the scripture to us. Let me tell you something that I've noticed over the years, and particularly for those of you who would not consider yourselves followers of Jesus, it's not uncommon to sense the presence of God before you know it's him. Sometimes you just, all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, it's, it's going to be okay. It's it's going to be okay. And then you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Sorry, my bad. It was, that's you. I was panicking five minutes ago and now all of a sudden this calm is over me. You see, many of us, if you've been Christian long enough or a follower of Jesus long enough, you, you, you see people who fall away and they've missed this important, important key to staying in the Christian life for the long haul. And that's the need to keep hearing and studying 
the word of God with an open and loving heart. Why? Because that's how Jesus, the Holy Spirit, too, keeps your heart burning. See, a lot of us think that we have to keep our hearts burning for God. No, 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 no. It's God who keeps our heart burning for God. As we what? As we stay close with him, as we walk with him, as we learn of him in truth of the word of God. So what happens? As they're walking with Jesus, even before they know it's Jesus, He's sharing the scriptures with them. They're like, the, like a true follower of Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, you want more of him, not less. So even before they know it, they're like, oh, no, you got to stay with us, dude. you got to stay with us, man. You are filling our souls. You see, they thought they were inviting Jesus to be a guest at their house. Jesus was inviting them Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting me. Jesus is inviting all of us to be a guest in his heart. That is not religion. That is not religion. You know, people often say, we need to invite Jesus to come be with us. <laughs> I, listen, man, I... I know, I know, but please, Jesus is the inviter. Jesus invites us. Jesus needs no invitation from anyone. <laughs> Jesus is the one who, on the door of our hearts. He's the one. They thought, that, they thought originally that Jesus was clueless and blind to the events of the cross, but what is the truth. They were the ones that were clueless and blind. And then their eyes were opened. This is another divine passive meaning that the Lord graciously opens their eyes. And then he leaves, but he doesn't leave them cold. He, the Holy Spirit's going to come to live inside of them. Now I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I did it in the last service. I asked the people in the last service if that they would pray for the people in their service that needed their eyes opened, that, God would, that they would pray that God would open their eyes right now. So just pray for the people in this service right now that God would open their eyes. And then... I had them pray for you. That everybody who walked into this service or watched this service online or watched it at some other point in time or another place in the building, that God would open their eyes. And then I said, maybe on the ride home, would you pray that God would open the eyes of every person who walks through the doors of this church? And would you pray 
that God opens the eyes of the people of Northwest New Jersey? And would you pray that God opens the eyes of the people in Washington, D.C.? And would you pray that God opens the eyes of the people of the United States of America? As he is right now opening the eyes of so many people all over the world. Because what occurs to them is so very powerful. What occurs to them is this. They actually look at each other and they say, and this is how it works. Did you notice how our burdened hearts turned into burning hearts when we were with him and when we heard him? Did you notice that change that happened within us? Friends, that is the call of the church. For everyone from the youngest to the oldest to explain the word of God to people. Not like the loud mouths on television do. Not all of them are, but a lot of them are. To explain the word of God to people and let their hearts catch on fire. Let the word of God change their burdened hearts into burning hearts. Don't put that pressure on yourself. As we're going to see in a minute, all they do is they tell the story. That's all they do. It's the call of every follower of Jesus to sit at a table, to get on the phone, to take a walk and talk to someone. As tired as some of us are of Zoom, to get on Zoom, to share time with others, to hear their story, to hear what they have to say, and then share the story of Jesus Christ. You see, People say, I don't know what to say. When you learn the Bible, you will learn how. And that's why we are so vigilant to teach the scriptures here. When you learn the Bible, you will learn to find things in people's story. You will hear things and you will be praying, saying, Holy Spirit, please help me take this story and connect it to the gospel and when you and to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the better you know your Bible, and we will teach you here like there is no tomorrow, that promise you have from me. Every time I step in this pulpit, that is my only goal. You will be able to weave the story of Jesus right into their lives. I hope that Jesus is doing that right now. He's taken these guys 2,000 years ago today, and you're the third person on the walk with them. It's very interesting, isn't it? And it's the story of so many of us. At first, they were annoyed by Jesus. But the more they learn about him, the truth, the more they experience him, the love and the compassion and the care. They don't want to let him go. And how many of us once the whole Jesus talk annoyed us? And now, 
we can't get enough of it. But Jesus does leave, and so do they. Verse 33, so they rose up that very hour. It's late in the day, but man, these guys are ready to go. They don't even delay. They're full of joy and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11. Why is it not the 12 apostles? Because Judas is gone. And those who are with them, they gathered together saying, now the apostles are going to talk first. These guys walk in, they got a big story to tell, but they got to listen to the apostles talk. Why, why do the apostles talk first? Because men are very competitive. You know that. We learned that already. Now the apostles talk first saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. And they, these two men, told or maybe Cleopas and his wife, about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They simply told the story of what happened. So here we have an early church meeting. This is an early church meeting. People are giving testimonies about God. They're telling the story. A group of doubters, remember? The women came back. He rose from the dead. We're like, we don't believe it. We got to see for ourselves. These guys are walking back to Emmaus. If they thought Jesus rose from the dead, that's, they're not going to go home. They're going to be like, we're staying in Jerusalem. The Lord takes a group of doubters. And mind you this, most scholars think that the early disciples or the apostles, for that, really, for that matter, were teenagers or in their early 20s. Man, we got to, seriously, we got we to gotta start to expecting more from our young people. When I was 19 years old, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I worked at a factory for a summer. And at the end of the summer, I was on break from college, so, you know, the longer summer breaks. But at the end of the summer, the owner... And his two sons, they were all going, they ran the place. They were going on vacation. Their whole family was going on vacation. But the business had to keep running. And they walk up to me and they go, we're going on vacation. I said, okay, does that mean I need to come to work? They go, you better come to work. You're in charge. I'm 19. I said, well, what about the foreman? The guy's been working here for 30 years. And they said, it was his idea. It was his idea. When I went to work there, they told me I wouldn't last two weeks because he fires everybody. They took a chance on a young kid. They went out of business, but no, that didn't happen. <laughs> they took a chance on a young kid. And we got to take some more chances on our young people. We do. The average age of a, of a teaching pastor in the United States of America is about 58 years old right now. That is too old. That is too old. So he takes this group of young doubters and they become these committed followers of Jesus Christ going out all across the land, eventually the Roman Empire, just simply telling the story of the risen king. Not about being religious. The story of the risen king who forgives sins and they changed the entire world with that story. And now they can face this world with hope because of the certainty of the resurrection and the presence of Jesus. 
And because of the word of God, which points us to the way and wisdom of Jesus, we can too. And that explains why we teach the word here. We don't just use it in our sermons. We actually teach it line by line so you know it, so your hearts burn. Because if we don't, it's easy for us to end up like these two, and most people are, thinking we know about God when we really don't. So where do I start? Maybe you're here today and, and you're like, okay, I, I want to sign on. I, 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 I believe he's alive. I want to live forever. I want to have my sins forgiven. Where do I start? The Apostle Paul writes this, Romans 10, 9 through 11, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, we could all help you do that. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. We cannot help you with that. That is in your heart. But you got to believe that. You will be saved. Saved from what? From the judgment of God for your sin and your unbelief because Jesus took the blame for you on the cross. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus Christ is the hopeful king. Jesus comes to us in our darkest moments of trauma, of despair, of heartache, of pain and suffering. He doesn't minimize it. He wants to be with you in it because he wants to walk with you and me on the path from our pain to our glory. The same path that he took. We can find Jesus in his word. You want to meet Jesus, you meet him in the pages of the Bible. He will open your eyes, your heart, your mind, and your mouth. And he will fill us all with the certainty of his faithfulness. And you can have that. Each week we gather to learn and experience together. I mean, just, I mean some people only come because it's a holiday. Don't do that. We gather every week, really, to, to worship God and to and to learn and experience the greatest privilege on earth together. And you know what the greatest privilege on earth is? Knowing Jesus Christ. That is the single greatest privilege on earth. And the first step, if you've never taken that first step, the first step to knowing Jesus is putting your trust in him and then each day walking with him trusting in the risen king who will fill you and refill your heart with hope. Does your, does your heart leak hope? Mine does. So I need to be filled and refilled with the certainty of Jesus and his promises that he has made to you and to me. And that's a journey we make together and with Jesus all made possible by the resurrection.
Well, let's pray.